Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to About Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball, kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christiana, over there. On the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well today. A lot more good baseball over the weekend. We almost had a fun story. So we almost had a perfect game yesterday, and we'll get into that. But um, I was driving home from a friend's house. I was just getting on the highway at the start of the ninth inning, and I found the nearest place to pull over that wasn't just the side of the road, only to watch the very first pitch go into uh, left field for a double. <laughs> like, I was not going to stop or anything at a, for a perfect game. Like, nothing was going to stop me from watching that. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, it, it, three outs away from a perfect game. To get to that point, not a lot of people get to that point. Um, and we haven't seen one in 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot's happened. A lot's happened in the world uh, since, since our last perfect game, you know, there's been a, there's been, you know, a full presidential administration, a pandemic, uh, two elections. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, actually, yeah. Well, since the last perfect game, there's 2012 election, 2016 election, three elections, elections um you know three presidential elections um and i don't know what um yeah when was the last what was the what was the uh latest released iphone in 2012 like um like uh i'm just googling iphone 4 okay the iphone 4 released in 2010 the iphone 5 Released in September of 2013. So, so, we were on so the iPhone 4S. 4S. Yeah. iPhone 4S released on October 14th, 2011. Yeah. So it's been yeah. that long. Yeah. People were like, you know, watching MLB.TV on your, on your mobile device was probably a very new thing the last time there was a perfect game. Yeah. Very new thing. Um, yeah, I remember I was actually, funnily enough, in Baltimore when that uh when that perfect game went down. Nice. Um, yeah. So and we're we're both gonna be in Baltimore soon. Yeah, we um, are. It's gonna yeah. be a fun time. Yeah, fun stuff. But Drew Rasmussen was three outs away and uh, lost the perfect game. I think it was uh, Sports Center posted this graphic. Um, I don't know where to find it, but there have been nine perfect games that have gone to the ninth inning since the last time someone actually completed one. Like there was a, there was you Darvish in 2013. Um, you Petit had one in 2013. The Rays had a combined one at, in some point. Max Serger had his, that was eventually a no hitter. Carlos Rodon had his last year. Drew Rasmussen had his uh, Jorge Lopez had one against his current team, the Minnesota twins in 2018, I think 2018 or 19. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've had so many chances, and it just has not happened. The last three outs have got to be the hardest to get, though, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think what we forget about in perfect games is, like, 
um you know if you know a guy's a guy's uh a guy's six innings for example a guy's six innings through a perfect game and it's like oh he's two-thirds of the way through um you know he could he could really do this but it's like the odds of getting three perfect innings is so low like yeah asking someone to get three perfect innings is very low and like the odds of getting a one two three inning without any without anything i mean like you figure nine times one of them is going to get through but it's like it's it's fair not to have the the last inning be a one two three inning so like i think we forget about that we're like even if you're eight innings through a perfect game i think more often like based on an average performance more often than not that's going to get broken up in the next inning I don't think there's any like it's very funny because when you like the seventh inning in theory in theory is the most difficult inning to get through because you're facing the best hitters, but like the ninth inning, like you know, you always look at the lineups when it's seven, eight, nine going into a perfect game, and it's like, oh, like these are hitters you can easily get out, and it always just seems like a lot, you know, the hardest ones. Like I remember looking at the Orioles, uh, the Orioles lineup yesterday, and it was like Jorge Mateo, uh. I forget who the eight hitter was and then Brett Phillips. And I was like, Oh my God, if it comes down to Brett Phillips, I might lose it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would have been a fun Can you imagine one. if Brett Phillips broke up the perfect game with a one out to go against his old team? That would be, uh, that would be, that would be pretty nice. Pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, uh, you, yeah. You, you'd hear about that one all day. It did not happen though. Jorge Mateo hit a double down the line, uh, with the very first pitch of the inning. Uh, it was the 80th pitch of Rasmussen's day. It was a breaking ball that was just left over the plate. Probably the first. I, I watched it back. It was probably the first breaking ball he left over the plate the entire game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But all in all, fantastic performance from Rasmussen. As you mentioned, I mean that was only his 80th pitch of the outing, and it was the ninth inning. Um, also, yeah, seven strikeouts, no walks, um, on the day and yeah, just, uh, three outs away from three outs away from history. But again, getting just generally getting a one, two, three inning is difficult. So it's not like, uh, it's not even like, yeah, it's, you know, if that were any other one, two, three inning, it would be, it, it wouldn't be like you choked away anything. Um, but yeah, uh, anything, anything more on the, uh, on the almost, uh, perfect game? Um, I, not that I can think of, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like I, like when there's a perfect game going, I will, like I mentioned, I will stop what I'm doing. And in this case, I was driving somewhere and I had to find a place to pull over on the, on the highway, like not, you know, not on the side of the road. I found like a rest stop and I was like, I need to see this because yeah. I obviously can't drive and watch this at the same time, but I can't miss this. So, right. Yeah. 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 And I was there for one pitch. Yep. 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 So um, it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, the, uh, and the, another thing that happened yesterday was, uh, the Yankees lost a series to the Red Sox. Um, they got shut out uh, in a three nothing loss. Um, that was the Red Sox' first uh, full series, you know, first first series of more than one game 
one against an AL East team. Um, the Yankees uh, that made their thirty their their past thirty one games. Uh, they're eleven and twenty. Um, just haven't been doing well. Uh, some some st- uh, a stat on the Yankees is uh, you know they are eleven and twenty in their last thirty one games, and in this span. Only the Tigers, Marlins, and Nationals have worse records, which is uh, pretty wild. However, I mean, there are some there are some big negative takeaways from what the Yankees are doing, but there's also reason to be not too alarmed here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of the perfect way of putting it because their Pythagorean win loss over this time is like 550. Uh, they've lost a lot of one-run games, like you told me off camera. Um, there are just a little, some little things that just aren't getting done right now. The biggest one is uh, the pitchers just aren't able to get the big outs. Uh, opponents, so since the trade deadline, uh, in which the Yankees are two and nine since, uh, opponents are slashing th- 333, 430, 507. Uh, that would be what a 937 OPS against the Yankees with runners in scoring position. Uh, Yankees pitchers have a 623 FIP against with runners in scoring position. That's the worst in the majors. And that's obviously not good, but it's not going to stay that bad forever. Um, yeah, I wouldn't stress this too much if I'm a Yankee fan. You know, like teams are going to go through their bad days and this just happens to be one of them. You know, maybe maybe the worry is it might not be as much of a cakewalk to get through the playoffs as you thought because, I mean, the way this team looked in June, it really looked like they were stopping for nobody. Um but yeah, I, I think uh, the the main takeaway from this streak is you know this team's really gonna have to fight harder than we thought in the playoffs to to earn their way to the World Series. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah, as, as you mentioned, their Pythagorean win loss is five fifty. Which, if, if you don't know, Pythagorean win loss is your it, it's it tells you what your um, what your record should be based on your. Uh, run runs scored and runs against mm-hmm. um even though like i don't think it i don't think their record should should be you know uh you know result in a 550 winning percentage like pythagorean win loss like it's 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 not a peripheral like fip or something where mm-hmm. when we're talking about pitchers where it's like oh it definitely should be they definitely should be better but like the yankees they're not having they're not taking a lot of blowouts is is what we're saying and like uh they're yeah so in the, since July 9th which is when they've lost 21 out of uh or 20 out of 31 so since July 9th the Yankees are 4 and 10 in one run games um and there's a lot of things that could point to that and a lot of that has to do with like late um late inning pitching uh and also, as you mentioned, like the stats on uh, pitching with runners in scoring position, but the Yankees in this uh, in this bad stretch where they've lost twenty out of thirty one uh, in the ninth inning, they have a five one four ERA. Uh, a lot of that has to do with Clay Holmes, who you know Clay Holmes was looking like a reliever of the year uh, front runner uh, about a month ago. He's uh, he's fell off. You know, he's he's come back to earth is probably the correct way to say it. Um, you know, in his last 11 appearances, he has 10 innings pitched, 11 earned runs allowed and 10 walks, 10 walks and 10 innings. 
you know, he was a, he was a low walk rate guy up to this, uh, up to this stretch. And um, it's been particularly bad for him, but I mean, yeah, they're the, the Yankees are in the stretch outscoring teams, 157 to 139. Uh, so even though they're 11 and 20, they're outscoring their opponents. Their offense still looks fantastic. Aaron judge in this span, I think probably leads and wins above replacement. So oh, he absolutely does. It's not even close. He hasn't fell off in any way. Uh, and most of the offense is still doing pretty well. Um, it's just like, I think they're, they're situational. Um, their, their performance in like particular situations has not been great. And that's more easily fixable than if the whole offense was doing bad or if the whole pitching staff was doing bad. The interesting thing with um, with Clay Holmes, like you mentioned, you know, when you think of Clay Holmes, you think of him as a ground ball pitcher, one of the best ground ball pitchers we've seen this, in a single season this year. And you think if he's coming back down to earth, that maybe that thing has fallen a little bit, and it really hasn't. Clay Holmes has a, roughly a 78% ground ball rate since uh, July 12th, which was his first tough outing of this stretch. Uh, and he happens to have a 348 batted against on ground balls during this time. So, you know... He's getting very unlucky. Uh, he is walking a lot of guys, obviously, as Critch mentioned, and that's never going to help you. But, you know, the 348 BABIP against on ground balls, that doesn't feel like something that will continue for any long period of time. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's why. Balls just happen to find a hole. Yeah, that's why, like, we mentioned coming back down to earth and, you know, with, with uh, you know, the average, the average, uh, if the average batting average on ground balls is 240. Um, yeah. about it's usually around there. So if, if his average on ground, average against on ground balls is what 348, his bat up against, yeah, which I guess is as average because no one's hitting home runs on ground balls. Yeah. Um, the one thing that you could point to as a concern is that his exit velocity on ground balls has gone up and probably just his exit velocity in general, I would imagine. But in March and April, his average exit velocity on ground balls was 86.8 miles an hour. In May, it was 90 miles an hour. In June, it was down to 86.3. In July, it shot up to 90.9. And in August, it's 91.1. So that is probably the, the one area where you can be like, hey, this isn't good. Um, his bat up against on ground balls in July was 286, which is far above league average and in july in august it's 375 which is just an albatross but you know obviously he's giving up a lot louder contact but even then um that like you're usually not that unlucky with ground balls yeah exactly and i mean um you know throughout the year you know anytime you have an era of like 0.5 like you had up to this point you're gonna have um you're there's there's some Babip luck on your side like mm -hmm. there's less there's less balls in play that are ending up as hits and it's probably balancing out right now like i think now his era and fip are around the same and there's you can't really say he's been getting you know overall in the season you can't really say he's been getting lucky or unlucky necessarily you know over the past month he's been getting unlucky but you could also argue that before that he was getting a little lucky not saying he was bad at all um it's just like having a 0 0.5 era usually requires a little bit of luck on your side um but yeah uh that's clay holmes um but i mean also with the yankees there are some options 
um, for the Yankees to have in the late innings reliever wise. Although I just found out Michael King was on the 60 day IL. Yeah, they've had a lot of injury misfortune. You know, Michael King is one of them. John Carlos Stanton has been one of them. He's been out for a bit longer than people expected. DJ LeMahieu might be going down with an injury real quick. He's getting imagery done today on his foot. Uh, so that that would be a really tough loss because he's been, I think, very underrated this season in particular. Um, and there's yes. just been several others as well. But yeah, it would be really concerning to see him go down. Yeah, LeMahieu offensively and defensively, like, you know, he was on pace for to have a have like over five wins above replacement uh, this season. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. he's been consistent, like an on-base machine LeMahieu has been. He's like at like a 390 on-base percentage yeah. or somewhere around Yeah, his walk there. rate is jumping up this year. Yeah, it's been crazy. Last year, I believe, as well. Uh, just looking at the Yankees injury report real quick. Obviously, Stanton, Chad Green, uh, Michael King. Also, like, you know, Zach Britton's been down the whole year. He had Tommy John surgery. Um, Harrison Bader, uh, obviously, who they traded for Jordan Montgomery. And that's been difficult for them. Uh, he's he's out for a little bit. He's doing a rehab assignment right now, though. Um, Luis Severino has on the 60-day IL. That's That's not good for them at all. Yeah, no, not at all. You know, it's really tough. It's like the 60-day IL, he's eligible to return on September 12th. I would have to imagine it's probably not going to be September 12th, and it's, if we're lucky, the postseason. And then even then, how healthy is he going to be? Um, Yeah. It is very perplexing when you lose Luis Severino, especially when you lost him in mid-July and you then traded Jordan Montgomery and only got Frankie Montas back. You know, you're losing two pitches and getting back one. Like it's, it's very confusing. Uh, what that, what the process, what the thought process was in that deal, especially you get Harrison Bader, which don't get me wrong, is an outfield upgrade over a lot of others. But you, you know, you didn't absolutely need to add an outfielder during the trade deadline. That is definitely the one thing that really confused me about the Yankees trade deadline because Brian Cashman did just about everything. He got relievers, he got starters, he got you know offense. Like he did pretty much everything you could have, but there was one trade that really just didn't make sense there and it's really costing them right now. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, Montgomery was a great guy to have on the back end of the rotation and, you know, someone who you can rely on to get innings when uh, guys like Severino are out um, because injuries will happen. They're in, they're inevitable that at least one guy in that rotation could be injured. And uh, yeah, Montgomery, you know, his value, you know, the, the value lost from him is probably going to be shown with, uh, with you know, guys like Severino out because, yeah, now now their rotation is, you know, you got Garrett Cole, Frankie Montas, uh, and Nestor Cortez, Jamison Tyon, and and uh, Domingo Herman. You'd, you'd definitely rather have Montgomery over uh, over Herman for sure. Yep. Um. So, so yeah, I mean, and not only that, but that really shows how that their rotation is like on thin ice right now. Like if they can't afford to lose another starting pitcher to injury, God forbid, because then what? Yeah, exactly. Like you dig, like, (laughs) like you're just digging yourself a hole. And then next thing you know, if that starting pitcher that gets hurt, isn't Domingo Herman, he's now in your playoff rotation. Right. Yeah. 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 Like. So right now you're looking at Cole, Cortez, Montas, Herman, and Tyone. Tyone's been struggling lately, uh, and Herman just 
you know, he's very inconsistent. So you really have three reliable starters and even Montas. If you look at his home road splits this year, he really hasn't been able to pitch outside of Oakland. Yeah. Yeah. This like this year, particularly it's been pretty bad. I mean, you know, just like, it's kind of just an every year thing where the Yankees biggest weakness is always the rotation behind Cole. And, you know, you really had to rely on Nestor Cortez to have a huge breakout this year uh, to have something like that happen, to have some sort of help. Yeah, true. Very true. Um, yeah. Frankie Montas, uh, by the way. Uh, so he hasn't pitched at Yankee Stadium yet. So, uh, you know, when I say home road splits, I'm exclusively talking about his time in Oakland, plus a couple of Yankee starts on the road. He's a 2-3-60 ERA at home and a 5-80 ERA on the road. That's not encouraging. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Um, yeah, it's uh, definitely this year that has been emphasized for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see about it. We'll see about it for uh, Frankie Montas and the Yankees. I mean, God forbid, like, it, it is funny because the the situation is extremely similar but God forbid it's a sunny gray situation. Oh God. Yeah. For the, for the, coming from, the from Oakland perspective, like, yeah, it almost makes too much sense. Like, so yeah. So sunny gray, um, sunny gray was acquired by the Yankees at the trade at the 2017 trade deadline, uh, from the Oakland athletics. And I think he was a free agent after 2018 um or he got traded i don't know but i know he was gone after 2018 but uh but sunny gray struggled mightily with the yankees uh much more than much more than he did with uh with the a's and um i don't know not wishing bad luck for the yankees or montas but uh it it the things if history repeats itself you know what's going to happen yes yes uh yes indeed i also think uh what this stretch could like maybe the worst thing that could come out of the stretch for the yankees is not getting home field advantage in a potential alcs um yeah because the uh the astros are now uh now have the best record in the american league by two and a half games two and a half games um it does help for the Astros that they are in like uh, a pretty bottom heavy uh division um or yeah or I don't know what the term would be but the bottom three teams are not very good um yeah the Astros and and I mean it made all the home field advantage you know the, in, in recent years the Yankees and Astros have played in the ALCS twice um Home field advantage was everything in 2017 for probably more reasons than just the crowd. But in 2019, um, it wasn't all that big, big of a difference. The Astros took two out of three in both, uh, in both stadiums. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see, but I mean, obviously the Yankees would rather play in the Bronx than at minute made. Um, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So uh there's yeah potential of that there and i think the one thing that this stretch proves is that this team is beatable right like you look at the yankees in june they were like on pace to you know beat the 116 win mariners 
Like they were one of the best teams of all time. It was the best team that they had put together during this championship run that they've had since 2017. It looked like this was the year for them. And it proves, you know, this stretch has proved that it's not a guarantee. Like this is, they're going to have to work for this. uh, And it's not going to be the cakewalk that many would have saw it as in June. Yeah. And also, also with the Yankees is like, you know, we both predicted uh, third or fourth place for the Yankees this year. Yeah. Uh, they weren't encouraging last year. They won, they won 92 games and, and they lost in the wild card round to the Red Sox. Um, and there were some discouraging things about this team. And I think that's being highlighted a little bit right now with, uh, you know, the rotation behind Cole and, you know, maybe uh, maybe the the late innings of the bullpen and also some some injury troubles, you know, that that'll hit the Yankees sometimes. Um, so I think I think some of those holes in the roster are being uh, exposed a little bit right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, if, they, if their luck is if they have some good luck, they'll draw the twins in the ALDS. But that would mean they'd have to win two games. So who knows? um yep yep oh yeah that's true um <laughs> yeah and i mean the yankees are still capable of going on a run like they did for the first three months of the season like they could very well finish this like from here on out go like i don't know i don't know how many games left let's just say they have like 40 games left or so they could go like i don't know 25 and 15 yeah and like end on a high note absolutely yeah mm-hmm. i think yeah i mean i guess it's definitely good to have stretches like this at this point in the season. Yes. Um, maybe you could argue like a, you, you want that like before the trade deadline when you can see where your holes are in the roster. But, um, but yeah, I mean, part of, you know, part of the stretch was before the trade deadline. So I guess there's that, but anyway, um, the Yankees are, uh, yeah, 11 and 20 in their last 31. Uh, a team also in New York is doing the exact opposite. The New York Mets are uh, have won 17 out of 20. Uh, in this stretch, they have the best record in baseball. Uh, they have um, some, some good separation right now in the National League East with the Braves, who have been a f- fantastic team in their own right. Um, they're four or there are uh, yeah five and a half games above the Braves right now um in, in this uh in this stretch the Mets uh won a uh, five game series for you know took four out of five from the Braves at City Field uh that was pretty big so everything's coming up Mets right now yeah I mean they had a 10 and a half game leave it over the Braves at one point that shrunk to just half a game and you felt like you were watching the same movie again with the Mets because this has kind of become a, a trend with them. Well, they'll, they'll start the season hot and then, you know, towards the summer, you know, reality will start to set in and they'll get bumped down in the order. And they've completely flipped the script this year. I mean, they started winning games as soon as the Braves were half a game behind them. And they're now five and a half games up in the division. So this Mets team is different. Like they are, they have, you know, I know that this statement gets used a lot, but they got that dog in them. Uh, since the All-Star break, they've just been outstanding. Uh, they've only lost three games since July 24th. That's almost a month. Uh, 
things have just been going right for the Mets, and they got the Braves. They're going to the, do Atlanta for a four-game series this week and then to Philly next weekend. So this is definitely going to be an important stretch, but I think if the Mets – let's, I'm just going to put it this way. So the Mets have f- seven games this week against the Braves and Phillies on the road. If they win at least five, I'll cancel the rest of the division. I'll say it's over. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I think that's a good sentiment to have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the Mets, uh, they've, they've really shown their, their true colors the past uh, 20 games. And, and usually, like, the term true colors is used in a negative light, but it's a positive light. Like, they have – they've really persevered this year. I mean, uh, like, they were able to survive – both Scherzer and DeGrom being on the IL, um, which is kind of what their team is built around, uh, was were able to, to survive that. Um, I think also the players that should be doing well are doing well. Of course, Francisco Lindor has uh, made massive improvement from uh, from last year and been been the guy that they signed up to to have for ten years and three hundred forty one million dollars. Uh, Pete Alonso has been great also. Uh, looking at the Mets, um, the Mets in this span where they've won 17 out of 20, uh, they uh, have a 142 weighted runs created plus, which leads the majors. Also an 18.2% strikeout rate, which is fourth best in the majors. Um, yeah, fourth best in the majors. And uh, individually, you can see Francisco Lindor, uh, he's hitting 389. Uh, in this uh, 20 game stretch, he's hitting 389 with a with an 1102 OPS and a 212 weighted runs created plus. Uh, then there is Pete Alonso, who is hitting 329 with a 1047 OPS and a 184 weighted runs created plus. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach has been an excellent, um, excellent addition for them. Uh, since he joined the team, I believe he has a 308 average and a 986 OPS with for a 182 weighted runs created plus. And uh, Jeff McNeil has gotten really hot. Also he's hitting 347 with a 960 OPS and a 171 weighted runs created plus in the Mets last 20 games. So, um, and also they're doing fantastic pitching as well. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that has kind of been clicking on all cylinders uh, and the fact that they've been able to sustain this with DeGrom and Serger on the IL is stunning. But the one thing that really uh, piques my interest since July 24th, uh, the Phillies have gone 14 and six and the Braves have gone 12 and eight. And, you know, without the context, when you hear that, you think, Oh, you know, those two teams are playing well. Like they got a, you know, the Mets probably lost a little bit of ground, but no, they went 17 and three, like during a time where both of their, their most competitive division rivals, uh, we're playing some of some of the best baseball of the season. The Mets somehow were outdoing them. And uh, I think it's very cool that Francisco Lindor has been the headliner of this because I mean, you know, he went through that, that transition period playing in New York, uh, Andre Jimenez and Ahmad, Ahmed Rosario have both been playing well this year for the guardians who we should also talk about. Uh, so, you know, that trade wasn't starting to look great for them, but Lindor is, is doing really well right now. Uh, he's probably been the best shortstop in major league baseball this entire season. He is an F war of exactly five, pretty sure that leads all shortstops in the majors, uh, which is very encouraging to see because he was under a lot of pressure in New York and he's been, he's been doing the thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, like he's been, yeah, he's been the team leader. I mean, he's he's leading that team in wins above replacement and defensively, offensively on the bases. He's been uh, what you would expect Francisco Lindor to be. And, uh, you know, it's it's good to see for the Mets, like they made that acquisition. And even though Jimenez and Rosario are, are performing great in Cleveland, it's kind of working out exactly how they wanted it to. This might be like the biggest win-win trade, like blockbuster win-win trade that I can think of. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, to go into some more numbers, because I mentioned that this uh, Mets team has also seen some great pitching. Um, in in the Mets' last twenty games, uh, Max Scherzer has four starts, twenty-seven and two-thirds innings pitched. He has a .98 ERA and a two-two-two FIP in this span. Uh, Jacob Degrom, since coming back, I mean, has been unreal. He has a one. Is he already at point nine F four? Yes, he is. Yeah. Uh, he has a one six two ERA and a zero point seven two FIP. Um, <laughs> he his his strikeout rate is fifty percent, and his walk rate is one point eight percent. Yeah, Degrom's been. <laughs> he hasn't missed a beat after missing. He's been Degrom. After yeah. missing an entire year of baseball. Um, and not only that, but he's 2-0 and in three starts. He, yeah. That, that's how you know that this Mets team is different. True, true. Um, Chris Bassett has a 1-3-8 ERA in the span. 26 innings, four starts, uh, a 1-3-8 ERA and a 2-8-1 FIP. Um, Carlos Carrasco, four starts, 25 and a third innings pitch, 1-7-8 ERA and 304 FIP, which is a very positive sign because, you know, I had him as a slightly alarming earlier this season. Um, I mean, just on, just on all fronts, it's been coming up Mets. Uh, they've just been fantastic. Yeah, no, this is, I don't, like I said, this team is different because you feel like you've seen the move, the same movie so many times, but this one actually looks like it's ending differently, which is unless it, unless it has the same ending and the biggest heartbreak possible, but let's not, let's not say that right now. Yeah. And I didn't like, say anything pr- just now. What? I didn't say anything just now. Yeah. Um, in, in the, um, like, I think also one of the positive things for the Mets is like over the past couple years, we've talked about how, like they just have a lot of great names on that team. They have, they have, they have the talent. It's just, they haven't been able to put it together. And now, now the talented team is performing like the talented team. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what it took for it to be that way, but like just going around, going around, like, you know, Max Scherzer performing like Max Scherzer should perform. Jacob deGrom since coming back is performing like he should perform going around the diamond, like Alonzo, Lindor, McNeil, Nimmo, uh you, you know uh yeah Marte they're all performing like they should perform and that's when you have that type of talent it makes sense that they're you know five and a half games up on the Braves yeah it does uh, it feels like it feels like it's going the way that everyone hoped it would or at least Mets fans did yes because this is a te- this has always been a talented team that people have wanted to see in the playoffs and all signs point to it happening because even if they, I mean, at this point, even if they don't win the division, I see no reason why they don't get the wild card. Oh yeah, right. I mean, like that that almost feels. What's their what's their FanGraphs playoff odds right now? Um, 
Yeah, I, I always forget how to find. It's in standings. Standings. 2022 uh, playoff odds. Uh, they got to be at like 99 at this point. Um. Yeah, though, they're at 100. 100% chance to make the playoffs, according to fan graphs. Yeah. The Phillies are at a, uh, let me Let me go through some interesting uh, fan graphs odds. So the Phillies are at 74.8% odds to make the playoffs right now. Um. I'm assuming the Dodgers have the highest odds to win the World Series. It's wow, it's very close. The Mets are at a uh, 17.9% to win the World Series. The Dodgers are at 18%. It's only 0.1. The Yankees are at only 9.5% to win the World Series. That's very interesting. Yeah, um, I'm looking at that. Astros are at 15.7% to win the World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very interesting. For sure. That's, um, uh, it's going to be interesting. Will be, will be. Um, yeah, like, yeah, Philly, yeah, Philly, no, Mets. Mets are five and a half up. Um, as you said, a very interesting week coming up for them. They have the Braves on the road, and I think I would imagine the Phillies on the road because they just played them at home. So, right. um, you know, that's obviously chance to separate themselves further. But it's a you know, say they get swept by the Braves. Uh, is it a three game series or a four game series? Four. Say they get swept by the Braves. Um, which, which is asking a lot of Atlanta. Which is asking a lot of Atlanta, but they would only be a game and a half up. Right. Uh, but you know, a split or better is good for the Mets. Uh, that that uh that would be great. Um, yeah. especially this late in the season. Um, let's talk about Cleveland. Sure. Did yeah. you have anything else? Did you have anything else you wanted to say on the Mets? Um, no. Okay. Yeah. So the Cleveland Guardians, uh, since July 24th, the same date I mentioned for the Mets, they have the best record in the American League, 13 and 8, which is seems very weird that that's the best record in the American League over that time, but it is. They yeah. moved into first place in the American League Central. I just want to talk about like the, the first thing to take away from this Cleveland Guardians team is how young they are. It is remarkable how like what they're doing at this average age. Um, I think they've only, they've only had, let's see. They've only had two batters the whole year that have, that are above the age of 30 and they're Luke Maley as their backup catcher and Sandy Leone also as their backup catcher. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Nolan Jones has broken out uh, a little bit, at least he's kind of cooled down. Uh, in the last week or so, but he's slashing 266, 333, 405 for a 738 OPS. That's a 112 OPS plus. Nolan Jones was a top prospect who uh, started out a little stronger. He, I had a stat about him. He was like the only Guardians player to have uh, certain numbers in his first X amount of games in his career. Um, Shane Bieber is striking guys out again. He had a really good outing yesterday against the Blue Jays, a good lineup. Tristan McKenzie has looked excellent over the last week or so. Uh, everything is sort of just coming into itself. They've had some breakout relievers like Eli Morgan and Trevor Steven this year. Uh, things are just, yeah, Cleveland's looking real good. Yeah, Cleveland, uh, yeah, they're looking real good. It looks like that since July 31st, they lead um, in pitcher F4, and I'm looking to see where the ERA and FIP ranks are at. Um, they're sixth in ERA. Uh, since July 31st, and they are uh, 
they're seventh and fifth. I don't know how they're. <laughs> I don't know how they're first and F were then. Um, yeah, the gar- what innings maybe? I guess, but I mean, it's like the whole Guardians team. They must yeah, be playing more weird. games than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, which would not make a lot of sense. That is interesting. Yeah, like I don't know. They've they've played. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, they're they're ten and four. They're ten and four in their last fourteen. Uh, they've taken over the top of the uh, AL Central, and they're what? Um, they're uh, three. Yeah, they're three games up on the White Sox right now. Um, I forget how much how often they face the White Sox. Um, coming up, I off the top of my head, I really don't think they've faced them a ton. Uh, let me check though. By the way, I saw a tweet yesterday, um, and I can't stop thinking about it. Is there a better left fielder in the American League than Stephen Kwan? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, like the only the only left fielder that's listed on Fangraphs with a higher wins above replacement. By the way, they've played thirteen games against the White Sox, so they have two more series. Um, the only left fielder on Fangraphs that comes up as high having a higher F four is Jordan Alvarez, who in my opinion, should not be counted as a left fielder. True. But like Stephen Kwan is hitting 295. He has a 121 weighted runs created plus uh, and 2.6 F4. Uh, he's been killing it, particularly as of late. You know, he had that big stretch at the beginning of the season where he was doing really well. And then he kind of slumped for a little bit, but now he's picked it back up again. I'm going to pull up his numbers uh, over whatever date, whatever arbitrary date he started hitting at. Uh, that's my uh, Guardians player to watch, by the way. One of the one of the uh, more under the radar picks that has really been working out for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Cleveland. Uh, also, they have. I mean, naturally, being in the AL Central, they will have mm. an easier schedule. But they have the sixth easiest strength of schedule remaining, according to Tankathon.com. It's based nice. on like winning percentage and yeah things that um so since june 21st that's 50 games stephen kwan is hitting 318 with a 386 obp 423 slugging and 809 ops yeah and Um, that's and to use another arbitrary random date um since july 22nd he's hitting he's slashing 340 402 474 876 um and that's with fantastic defense too yes 23 games uh yeah he's been killing it yeah uh yeah and Quan, i think i know sports info like mark simon retweeted something saying that like he is first in left fielder defensive run saved by a lot mm-hmm. um and i mean i think defense i believe defense has been one of the strengths of the guardians um they are one of those teams that overall yeah are doing like the little things a little better like base running and defense mm-hmm. um i'll go to fielding bible i'm gonna go to outs above average um they have the fifth highest outs above average overall in baseball uh the nationals uh, by the way horrific defense sixth and have you uh, seen um have you seen like the the rankings in in uh, outs above average for pitcher like when when the like the defense behind them um no i haven't it's like it's Bolt's leaderboard. Hmm. Uh, so Patrick Corbin, when he's pitching, has negative 19 outs of average behind him. 
The next worst is Keegan Thompson at minus eight. Wow. Yeah. Like well, Dal- like Patrick Corbin, obviously he doesn't help himself, but his defense behind him is horrendous. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Guardians yeah. are also um they're also sixth in uh defensive runs saved. So both yeah, uh, and by the way, like when um like when I when you look at outs above average for pitchers, it's the defense behind them, not like their performance themselves. And actually, while we're on the topic of the Guardians, the best pitchers defense behind them all year by outs above average has been Cal Quantrill, who is on the Guardians. Yeah, and he you know he does need some good defense behind him. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys. Um, and uh, and then yeah, and Cleveland yeah, so Cleveland is fifth in outs above average, sixth in defensive run save. They're also fifth in BSR which is the uh, base running metric. So like, you know, they're not going to hit you out of the park. They're not necessarily a team that is going to strike you out a ton either uh, these days, Um, but they're going to do the little things correctly, which is, you know, defense and base running. And and that's probably how they've been winning games. Yeah. Um, And Um, also what should be noted is, is like, I'm pretty sure Jose Ramirez hasn't been like fantastic in this run, which is like, that's a testament to this guardians team. It really is because Jose Ramirez is very clearly uh, the best, very clearly the best position player on this team. Um, And, you know, if he's not, if he's not doing fantastic um, and the guardians are still doing fantastic, that's a very good sign. If you're, if you're Cleveland, because you know, Jose Ramirez is going to get back to uh, a high performance level. Yeah, you absolutely do know that. Uh, that's yeah. It feels like your team can only get better with Jose Ramirez being Jose Ramirez. Um, and that's really a sign of just the overall build of this team. It is so frustrating that Cleveland just keeps doing really well at developments and their GM is just very good because that front office pisses so many people off. But they, right. but it works, and it's so annoying. Um, yeah, it is very annoying. And like, yeah, not like, only, like, not only do they build this incredible team, but they have Jose Ramirez locked up until like the late twenty twenties. Yes, that's until uh, twenty twenty eight. Yeah, that's frustrating. <laughs> Through twenty twenty eight, so it's until twenty twenty nine, really. Yeah, yeah, until twenty twenty nine. Um, yeah, during. During this stretch where the Guardians are 10 and 4, Jose Ramirez has a 6-11 OPS. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not Jose Ramirez level at all. And and he's still um he's still doing uh really, really good. Um, yeah, I'm looking for more Cleveland stats here. They have a uh, I mean, Emmanuel Classe has been his own just like he's he's probably the second best reliever this year behind Edwin Diaz. Um yeah, he's he's been something else for sure. Yeah, he is a whip below 700, which is absurd. Um, he's 26 for 28 in save opportunities. That's remarkable. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that, I mean that's that's an elite level. I mean, he's putting himself. Al- he hasn't a. With- uh, he hasn't walked a batter in his last uh, 14 appearances. Or 15 appearances going back to July 6th. That's pretty wild. Wow. Yeah. He has um, a uh he has a one three two FIP 
since July 11th. 12 strikeouts, no walks, no home runs, and 13 in a third innings pitch. Yeah, Klaus has been uh, been unbelievable for sure. So uh, on the pitching side, it, pitching has been kind of their MO um, in this uh, 10 and 4 stretch that the Guardians have been having that's, you know, pushed them up to the top of the uh, AL Central. Um, Shane Bieber, three starts, 20 innings, 180 ERA, 172 FIP. Uh, his walk rate is microscope. Yeah, his, he only has one walk in 20 innings in his last three starts. Yep. Um, Cal Quantrill in 19 innings, 189 ERA. Uh, that's been working out for, uh, for him in this, uh, in this uh, Guardians 14-game stretch. And then in the bullpen, bullpen's been really good. Uh, Trevor Stefan, uh, six and two thirds innings pitched. He's had 16.2 strikeouts per nine. That's pretty insane. A uh, 0.42 FIP. Uh, James Karinchak, uh in this Guardians stretch has uh, six shutout innings and 16 and a half strikeouts per nine, which is uh, absurd. And then uh, Emmanuel Clase, as you mentioned, is uh, he's been fantastic the whole year and it hasn't stopped at this stretch. He uh, has thrown six and a third innings pitch, allowed one earned run. Um, and he has a uh, 0.91 fit. You got some numbers as well. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm talking about the bullpen just like you are. Going back to July 9th, their bullpen has a 2.7 F4. No other team has more than 1.7. They're a full win better than the next best bullpen over the last month plus. Uh, nine, how about 9.79 strikeouts per nine to 1.79 walks per nine? That is easily the best in the majors. Uh, the next best is only 2.19. And uh, just to put it into into non per nine uh, the categories, only a five point one percent walk rate uh, going dating back to July 9th. That is the best in the majors, and also a 22.7 percent uh, K minus walk rate. Um, it's actually second to the Mets because they do have a higher strikeout rate. But the Mets bullpen has one point two three home runs per nine allowed. The Guardians have just 0.49, which is far better and also very important. Yeah, and the Mets also have uh, Edwin Diaz, so... Yes. Uh, <laughs> he probably brings their numbers up by himself, by yes. a significant amount. Uh, yeah, <laughs> their bullpen has been very dominant, far and away the best in the majors during this time. Uh, and you know what? Their offense has been, you know, it has, I don't want to say it's been, like, the greatest in the world, but it's been serviceable enough to where if you have a late lead, you're not going to get rid of that. I mean, their uh, offense yeah. is as the it has a 110 weighted runs created plus. It has tied for the third highest. Actually, their offense is the highest uh, F4 since uh, July 9th in, in the American League. Oh, wow. So maybe I'd take that back. They're hitting 274 with a 110 weighted runs created plus and 6.9 F4 dating uh, back to July 9th. So, um, yeah, why don't, why don't I check out who's been doing that for them? Yeah, and I, I would guess you know, once again, a lot of that has mm-hmm. to do with their defense and base running. Cause like... Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, I'm just looking at it right now. And the, the, the leader offensively, base running and defense has been Andres Jimenez, who's had a huge breakout this year that we've talked about. He does have a 410 BABIP over this time, but he's slashing 333, 421, 486 for a 165 weighted runs created plus and 1.7 F4 in just 32 games. That's like top of the league type stuff. Uh, Quan, as I mentioned, has been doing very well. Ahmed Rosario uh, is hitting 317 with a 141 weighted runs created plus and 1.3 F4. Yeah, he's been outstanding. Uh, those are the main uh, 
I guess, guys on offense. They yeah. did uh, They did just get rid of Franmil Reyes, who's been struggling more than anybody else. Right, right. Who's on um, the Cubs now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like the the Guardians, like they're mm-hmm. they're yeah, they they're they're winning games in a I guess you could say sort of non-modern way. Like I don't think I'm pretty sure their home run ranks are pretty low. Like yeah, they're fourteenth yeah, they're fourteenth in the AL in home runs, but they're still finding ways to produce offense. Like fourteenth in the AL in home runs, but seventh in the AL in scoring runs. Um, fourth in the AL and hits. Um, so, you know, that's pretty interesting. And then on the de- defensive side of things, just overall this year, you know, Miles Straw has seven outs above average. Stephen Kwan has six. Andres Jimenez has five. Uh, Owen Miller has five outs above average. Josh Naylor has three. Um, Jose Ramirez has two. And, uh, you know, great base running all, all around from, probably all of them as well. Yeah, I mean, the um, beautiful thing about this team is that their pitching and defense and base running has put their offense in a position where they only have to be serviceable. Like, you know, they don't have to be heroes. They don't have to be world beaters. They just have to scratch across, like, five a game. You know, four yeah. to five a game, you're going to win most of the time. Yeah, exactly. It, and, and you know, yeah, just, you know, find a way to get on base and good things are going to happen. Exactly. Um, so, yeah guardians uh they're interesting they're they're the uh they're the topic of the al central um twins have must have fell off quite a bit if they're below the white Sox right now yeah um the white Sox have also been doing a little bit better yeah i believe they swept their latest series mm-hmm. um twins are three games above 500 or yeah the twins are exactly where the white Sox are just realized um they're yeah they're both three games back it seems um and uh i guess i don't know we could talk about this team a little briefly but um but uh one of the one of the teams the mets you know beat upon a little bit in their stretch was the phillies but before the phillies lost uh the last two games of their latest series against the mets They'd won 13 out of 15. They were doing fantastic. Uh, they've still, you know, won 13 of their last 17. Um, and, you know, I think they've made it a thing where I think they've really established themselves as like this team's, this team definitely should be uh, going to the playoffs this year. Although, you know, the, the Brewers are two games behind, but I mean, the, the Phillies have really um, made some separation for that, uh, for that third wildcard spot. Yeah, they are. Uh, how about this? 20, 41 and 22 under Rob Thompson. Uh, he might be making a case to remain their manager after this season, which you rarely see out of a guy that's kind of just thrown in midseason after a firing. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, so he was fired on, or he started. He, so the Phillies played their first game under Rob Thompson on June 3rd of this year. And hold up. I'm going to give some stats real quick because it's definitely their offense and probably their starting Yeah, I, I have some. I have some. Okay. For, oh, wait. Yeah, I'll, I'll switch, just throw up some stuff. Switch there. 
Oh wow, switched, it's definitely uh, not their offense, actually. Oh well, it's probably their it's they have 106 weighted runs created plus. Not only that, but they've been doing it without Bryce Harper, too. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Uh, June 3rd. Maybe is, is there a better date to use? Yeah, probably July. Uh, you have their uh, their 13 and 2 run, right? Well, I guess 13 and 4 now. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with their since Rob Thompson stats. You can go with their uh, last whatever games. So since June 3rd, when Rob Thompson was hired, uh, JT Realmuto has obtained 2.4 F4. Uh, he's been excellent at everything, defense, base running, and he has a 126 weighted runs created plus. Uh, the biggest offensive hero for them has been Reese Hoskins, who is slashing 272, 375, 548 over this time, a 154 weighted runs created plus and 2.2 F4. They've also had Kyle Schwarber do his thing. Bryson Stott has uh, become a major league average bat, which is perfect because he's the one guy on the team that provides solid defense outside of Real Muto. Uh, he's at a 99 weighted runs created plus over this time, uh, slashing 248, 312, 401. A pretty solid ISO for a shortstop, I will say, 153. Um, mm -hmm. Alec Baum has had some Babbitt luck. He's at 354, but he's slashing 308, 338, for a 433 uh, slugging. And also Derek Hall, an NECBL alumni, shout out to him, 276, 302, 550 uh, for a 132 weighted runs created plus so far. And they've been doing it all without Bryce Harper too, which has been the most uh, momentous thing. Yeah, that's been pretty crazy. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned, the, the Phillies had won 13 out of 15. Now it's 13 out of 17, which is still impressive. And like, if you're going to lose two games, uh, it might as well be to the hottest team in baseball, uh, which is, you know, what happened with them losing to the, to the Mets. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, Real Muto has been, uh, has been fantastic um, in this 17 game span for the Phillies. Uh, he has a 154 rated runs created plus uh, Reese Hoskins is at 170 um, with uh, with five home runs in those 17 games. Uh, Derek Hall, has a 150 weighted runs created plus in the in the Phillies last 17 games. Uh, Nick Castellanos has turned it around a little bit. Uh, in his in the Phillies last 17 games, uh, he has a 141 weighted runs created plus. Uh, so, you know, good to see him uh, turning things turning things around a little bit. Uh, you know, Bryson Stott has been above average, and uh, yeah, Kyle Schwarber at a 134 weighted runs created plus in the 17 game span. Kind of what you expected, and then uh, with the pitching staff um, in the 17 game span, Aaron Nola has pitched like an ace. He has a 1.35 ERA and a 1.62 FIP in 20 innings pitched in three starts. Uh, Ranger Suarez has turned it around a little bit uh, in this uh, in this stretch. He has a 1.96 ERA and a 2.96 FIP in 18 and a third innings pitched in three starts. And Kyle Gibson. Uh, also has a 2-2-5 ERA in 20 innings pitched. You want to know the um, most stunning thing I've just found? Sure. Were you, were you going to say more or do you want me no, to that, continue? Kyle Gibson was the last guy I was going to I thought so. That's why I interrupted. But um, so since June 3rd, again, going back to Rob Thompson's start dates, the Phillies bullpen leads the National League in F4. 
that's yeah that is a revelation like the phillies bullpen since 2019 has been universally uh perpetually unanimously the worst part about their team and it's been one of the worst in the league they've signed a lot of guys that just haven't worked out and rob thompson has made it work if if the phillies are going through a managerial hiring process next winter. If you're Rob Thompson, you need to walk into Dave Dombrowski's office. You need to slap down a photocopy of the F4 rankings of the National League since the day he took over for bullpen and walk out of the room. That's all you got to do because he's made this thing work. I mean, he and he, you know, he has the same bullpen that Joe Girardi had for two for three years, and we're seeing them pitch well. That is everything you need to know about the Phillies turnaround since Rob Thompson took over. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the, it's not like the Phillies really made any crazy additions in this time frame. Mm-hmm. It's just, they've been doing much better. And uh, yeah, like, and there's also a stat, like speaking of the Phillies being good where they usually aren't um, Mark Simon had a tweet saying that since Rob Thompson was hired, they had a positive defensive run saved, which is also just a complete revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, not something you, uh, you know, the Phillies are usually one of the worst defenses in baseball. Um, they've really just turned it around in every single way. And it's, it's not just their offense that has been uh, carrying the team. Like it's been everywhere. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, just going back to the bullpen, like look at the guys that have broken out for them, like Andrew Bellotti, uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Connor Brogdon, Brad Hand, Nick Nelson. Like these are not names that were expected to perform at the beginning of the year, but they just have. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah I threw Brad Hand into that list. Well, yeah, it's Brad Hand. Like look at <laughs> look at last year. Like exactly. It's Brad Hand. I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, you know. What else can you say? What else can you say? To be fair, uh, he does have, he hasn't given up a home run this year uh, in only 19 and two thirds innings pitched, but, or in this time, not this year, but in this time, uh, 5.95 strikeouts per nine, 3.66 walks per nine, a 200 bat up against. Uh, Very interesting. Very interesting. And uh, also good news for the Phillies is, they have the fifth easiest strength of schedule remaining. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, uh, that's a good sign. I mean, the, the team that's behind them is the Milwaukee Brewers, who have the 14th hardest schedule remaining. So they have like an average schedule remaining compared to the Phillies. Yeah. Um, Phillies have a, an easier schedule remaining. Um, any, anything more on the Phillies? I think that's really it. I mean, just the bullpen turnaround has been probably the best case for Rob Thompson next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, just some random guys uh, putting it together for the Phillies uh, in that bullpen. Um, all right. So, yeah, now we'll get into uh, we'll get into uh, the 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 main event of the uh, of the episode, which is mm-hmm. players highlight. Um, so. Yeah, we'll uh, get into players that have been uh, performing very well, some players who have been underperforming, but we'll start with our Monday, August 15, 2022 edition of... uh, Who do you have for us today? 
So uh, I'm actually talking about the same team that I talked about on last episode with this How About That. This is definitely a really good story. I'm talking about Paul DeYoung, who was, of course, recalled from AAA at the end of July. And since then, he is slashing 292, 375, 646 for a 1021 OPS and a 180 weighted runs created plus. Uh, Throughout the month of July, he has a line drive rate of 37%. That ranks the 10th highest among the 202 hitters with at least 25 batted balls over the span. And he also has a 22.2% ground ball rate, which ranks fifth lowest on that same list. Before this span, his sweet spot percentage was just 20.8%. That means 20.8% of his batted balls were between 8 and 32 degrees, which is usually where you want it. And... In the span, it is up to 37.5%. That is a 17% difference. It's a, it's a lot. It's very good. Uh, before the span, he also had a pop-up rate of 11.3%. And in the span, it is down to just 3.1%. So that's gone down by over 8%. He's popping the ball up a lot less. His average exit velocity has also gone from 86.8 miles per hour to 92.8 miles per hour. It's gone up by 6 miles an hour over the course of his, of his time post-minor league assignment. Uh, His chase rate throughout the month of August is currently at 21.6%. That is the fourth lowest of any month throughout his career. And it's the second lowest in any month since June of 2019. So Paul DeYoung has really understood the assignment after coming back from AAA. And he's one of the big reasons why the Cardinals have taken over first in the National League Central. Paul DeYoung. Um, My, how about that? um is uh i have to shout you out because you kind of get the assist on this you were the first guy to mention him mm-hmm. talking about uh day-by-day matchups um talking about day-by-day matchups uh last episode and you mentioned one reed detmers and it was like look at his stats since the start of july and i looked i was very intrigued and then you mm-hmm. know i was i was looking for a how about that for this episode and you know, I was looking at the pitching leaderboards, and he was there. Um, Reed Detmers, uh, you know, I, I kind of made fun of him a little bit for his no hitter earlier this year, where he had two strikeouts. Um, you know, because I don't know, like you know, he there were some line drives against him, uh, some hard hit balls that that landed his outs, um, that uh, you know, led to his no hitter. But I mean, um. And I also mentioned, like, when the Angels were doing well, I, I mentioned that, like, oh, it's kind of funny that the worst guy in the rotation <laughs> has been uh, the guy that threw a no-hitter. Um, however, Reed Detmers has really changed that tune uh, over his past six starts. Since the start of July, since the start of July, Reed Detmers has a 1.50 ERA and a 2.48 FIP and 36 innings pitch in six starts. Uh, in his last six starts out of 72 qualifiers, his ERA ranks second and his FIP ranks sixth. Um, what's most unbelievable about Reed Detmers uh, is his strikeout rate went from 19% before the span to 34% in this span. Uh, he's almost doubled the strikeout rate, which is insane. You don't see that from pitchers very often. Uh, his strikeout rate ranks third out of 72 qualifiers in the span. Uh, also, his whiff rate went from 20.4% before the span, 20.4%, to 33.3% in this span. And out of 135 pitchers to have 200 or more pitches swung at in this span, Detmers's whiff rate is sixth 
highest. Unbelievable. Um, what's also crazy is specifically on his four seam fastball, his whiff rate has gone from 18.5% to 35.2%. And out of 81 pitchers to have to have uh, out of 81 pitchers to have a hundred or more four seam fastballs swung at, his whiff rate on his four seamer is the highest out of 81 pitchers. Um also, uh, what may have contributed to this, I'm not, I don't think it's the sole reason, but uh, before the span, his average four-seamer was 93.0 miles per hour, and in the span, it is 94.0 miles per hour. So he's jumped up a tick on his, uh, on his fastball mid-season, which I don't think you really see that often. Um, and then uh, if you want to go also just quality of contact against him, that's improved as well. His barrel rate has gone from 5.2% or no, from 10.2% in the span to 5.2% uh, in the span. It's dropped 5% uh, and gone from an above, giving it up at an above average rate to a well below average rate, which is a very good sign for Reed Detmers. Uh, so yeah, Reed Detmers turning into a strikeout machine just out of nowhere, uh, a four-seam fastball whiff rate machine also. Reed Detmers. Um, so now we go from the highs to the lows where we're talking players or subjects that have been underperforming with our Monday, August 15, 2022 edition of who do you have for us today? So, uh, I don't think I've done this at all this year on either segment, but I'm actually talking about a subject for today's slightly alarming. Um, I'm talking about the nationals rotation and by no means did the nationals rotation have really have much expectation to begin this year. But I think we could have hoped for a little something better than this. Throughout the season, they have the worst F4 in Major League Baseball. The A's are second to last at 3.6. The Nationals rotation has minus 0.9 F4 at the, for the entire year. <clears throat> Since the start of the live ball era, that is 1920. Uh, their 136 fit minus is the worst among the 2,312 rotations in any season. That means... Uh, they have a 136 FIP minus, uh, which means their FIP as a rotation has been 36% higher than the league average. And that is the worst that anyone has had in the last century. <laughs> um, ironically, the second worst was the 2007 Nationals, which makes me appreciate like for most of their franchise's history, the Nationals have been a contending team. But when they suck, they suck. Yeah. <laughs> like they own it uh, like yeah. they've been doing this year. They also rank last in the last century in ERA minus at 147. That's the same concept. They are second worst behind the 2012 Rockies in with plus at 123. They were actually first before yesterday and second worst behind the 1944 New York Giants in home runs per nine plus at 172. Uh, that was also they were in the lead in that until yesterday. Uh, since June 29th, they have the worst three pitchers in F4 among the 123 arms with at least 30 innings pitched. Uh, over the span. Anibal Sanchez has a 749 FIP during this time. Josiah Gray, who is a former, how about that, has a 674 FIP, and Paulo Espino has a 602 FIP. As a whole, the Nationals rotation has a minus 2.1 F4 since July 29th. Their starters are 1 in 25. Whoa. They have, a, they have one win in 25 losses since July nice. 29th. And, uh, Overall, during this time, their starters have a 724 ERA and a 662 FIP. So 
it has just been absolutely miserable for them this year. It has been historically bad. One of the worst rotations that we've seen in the last century. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Nationals rotation. Slightly alarming. Um, not great. Not great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my slightly alarming. I'm actually very happy you uh, went subject because the slightly alarming, I couldn't really find anyone, but there was one glaring guy uh, on the, uh, you know, in, you know, when you go to the. That you thought I was also going with? Yeah. I was like, I was like, I'm asking to have the same one here, mm-hmm. but I don't. And luckily we get to talk about this guy because he's been struggling mightily. Glaber Torres. Uh, he's, he's a very up and down player and he's on, he's on the down slope right now. Um, in his last 13 games, he's hitting 115 with a 20, uh, 115 with a 267 OPS. That's a weighted runs created plus in the negative twenties, uh, out of 177 qualifiers in this 13 game span, his average is ranks fourth worst. His slugging ranks third worst. Oh, on base percentage ranks second worst and OPS ranks second worst. Uh, Torres's strikeout rate has gone from 19% before the span to 32% in the span. Uh, his walk rate has also gone from 7% to 2%, and his chase rate has gone from 26.8% to 30.8%. But what's way more glaring is his whiff rate. Uh, Torres's whiff rate has gone from 26.4% before the span to 37.5% in the span. Uh, over an 11% increase in whiff rate. And out of 73 pitchers or 73 hitters to swing at 100 plus pitches in this span, Torres's whiff rate is fourth highest. Um, so Glaber Torres, you know, we talked about the Yankees having a bad stretch. Uh, Glaber Torres is contributing to that, unfortunately, for him and them. So Glaber Torres. Slightly alarming. I feel like every time we have an episode where we just go over a bunch of teams, at least one of the sub, at least one of the players to highlight is on one of those teams, like without fail. Yeah, yeah, it'll you know it'll happen. There's four chances. By the way, I said July 29th when I was referring to the Nationals rotation. Anytime I said that, I meant June 29th. Oh. Uh, yeah, July 29th was not that long ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think there are 123 pitchers with 30 innings pitched since July 29th. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't it's... seem likely. It might be just Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, th- you know, 10 innings per start, just a classic yeah. uh, <laughs> classic thing. Um, so, yeah, uh, that does it for players to highlight. Now we will get into a preview of the week ahead. Um, I will be highlighting some series to watch. Daniel will be going through the day-by-day matchups. And I don't know, every week I just seem to find more and more intriguing series maybe it's just maybe it's the playoff race heating up maybe i was gonna say that... it is probably just the fact that we're going down to the wire here yeah there are a lot also, of good races right now yeah and i guess there are more playoff spots available so that makes it so that there's more intriguing uh playoff or, or more intriguing regular season series um but anyway as i go on we've got uh we've got yankees rays in the bronx um, both teams, I'd say, have been underperforming a little bit. Um, so we'll see who comes out on top there. Uh, I'm wondering the length of the series there. Um, looks like it's going to be three games between the Yankees and the Rays. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Then uh, Blue Jays Orioles at Rogers Center. Uh, they've faced each other pretty recently. Um, that is uh, going to be interesting. Blue Jays haven't been doing too well. Uh, Orioles uh, just dropped two out of three to the Rays, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, that'll be, I believe, yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be three games as well. And then um, Braves Mets, of course, that might be the series to watch, even though the Braves are five and a half behind. Um, that should be an interesting watch because, you know, some mighty uh, playoff implications there. And I think any time those teams are going to be meeting up, that's must-watch television. That's a four-game series at Truist Park. Mm-hmm. Um, then, of course, White Sox-Astros, uh, ALDS rematch. Um, that's at Guaranteed Rate Field. It's definitely a much more important series for the White Sox than it is the Astros. So it's a big challenge for the White Sox. And if, if they can overcome that, um, that'll improve their AL Central chances for sure. And uh, last series is uh, Brewers-Dodgers 2018 NLCS rematch um, and 2020 NL wildcard uh, round uh, rematch. But that's at uh, American Family Field. And yeah, the Brewers are two games back in the wild card, two, also two games back in the division, and they're facing a mighty hot Dodgers team. So yeah, um, that'll be uh, interesting to watch. What do you got so, for the day-by-day matchups? There are a lot of good matchups on Monday. Uh, first of all, Aaron Savali will be going for the Guardians in the first end of their doubleheader with the Tigers. Uh, you will have Noah Syndergaard going for the Phillies facing Mike Minor in uh, Cincinnati. You will have Joe Musgrove versus Sandy Alcantara, which is a great matchup, arguably matchup of the night, but I do have another one in mind. Anytime Sandy's on the mound, it's must watch. You will have Marcus Stroman and Josiah Gray facing each other in Cubs Nats. Normally, I wouldn't mention someone like Josiah Gray, who has a you know 674 FIP since uh, June 29th, but he does have a 175 expected WOBA against the current Cubs roster in 25 plate appearances, so that's interesting. Uh, Garrett Cole will be going for the Yankees against the Rays at Yankee Stadium. Uh, you will have, I mean, Orioles-Rays is an important series, but Kyle Bradich versus Yusei Kikuchi is definitely not the most intriguing matchup, uh, but that'll be tonight. Yeah. Carlos Carrasco versus Spencer Strider in the starter of Mets-Braves. Spencer Strider, last time he faced the Mets, talked about how much he got babbipped, so that'll be fun to watch again, uh, you know, if that happens. Joe Ryan will be going for the Twins against the Royals in Target Field. Uh, Jose Urquidy and Johnny Cueto will be facing each other in Astros White Sox at guaranteed right field. Julio Arias and Freddie Peralta will be facing each other in giant daughters brewers, uh, in Milwaukee. That's a good one. And you'll have Alex Cobb going for the giants against the diamondbacks at home and matchup of the night comes from Mariners angels in Los Angeles. It's going to be Luis Castillo versus Shohei Otani. Ooh, that's, that's pretty quality. Yeah, that is a, that is a really solid matchup. The angels, by the way, are 12 and nine in their last 21, you know, they don't think they have a playoff run left in them, but they've been playing some better baseball. Um, Kyle Gibson will be going for the Phillies against the Reds on Tuesday. Sean Manaya and Edward Cabrera will be facing each other in Padres Marlins. Justin Steele will be facing the Nationals for the Cubs. He's an underrated piece that people should take a look at. Uh, Nick Pavetta and Mitch Keller will be facing each other in the rare Red Sox Pirates series. Um, Nestor Cortez and Jeffrey Springs will be facing each other in Rays Yankees. A couple of lefties there. 
Uh, Alec Manoa and Dean Creamer will be facing each other in Orioles Blue Jays in Rogers Center on Tuesday. Um, Taiwan Walker and Charlie Morton will be facing each other in uh, Mets Braves. So, so we got a we got a 2014 classic in uh, Royals Twins. We got Zach Greinke and Sonny Gray facing each Woo! other. Yeah, you'll love to see it. Yeah. Um, Kyle Freeland and Jose Quintana, a couple of lefties in Rockies Cardinals. Uh, that'll be in St. Louis. Um, oh, that is so match of the night. <laughs> Brandon Woodjup and Ryan Pepio will be facing each other in Dodgers Brewers on Tuesday. Robbie Ray and Jose Suarez and more more lefties facing each other. Merrill Kelly will be facing the Diamondbacks for the or will be will be facing the Giants for the Diamondbacks in San Fran. And match of the day, match of the year comes from Astros White Sox. It's going to be Justin Verlander versus Dylan Cease. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one and two in the Cy Young right now. It's, it is the Cy Young race. Yeah. Sorry, Jay McClanahan. Um, on Wednesday, you have Ranger Suarez and Nicola Dolo facing each other in Phillies Reds. You will have Drew Smiley facing the Nationals for the Cubs. He last pitched at the Field of Dreams game, pitched very well. Tyler Malley will be starting for the Twins against the Royals at Target Field. Uh, I haven't looked at any of these matchups at all, so I'm going in completely blind here, by the way. Uh, George Kirby will be facing the Angels for the Mariners. He's had some really good strikeout-to-walk numbers lately. Corey Kluber and Domingo Herman will be facing each other in Rays Yankees. Uh, Max Serger and Jake Odorizzi will face each other in Mets Braves. Herman Marquez versus Jordan Montgomery in Cardinals Rockies. I believe Montgomery is not allowed to run yet as a member of the uh, Cardinals. That's been interesting. Framber Valdez versus Michael Kopech in Astros White Sox. Tony Gonsolin versus Eric Lauer in Dodgers Brewers and Carlos Rodon will be facing the Giants for, or will be facing the Diamondbacks for the Giants uh, in France, San Francisco and match of the day or nights matchup of the afternoon comes from Padres Marlins. It'll be Mike Clevenger versus Pablo Lopez. Nice. Nice. Yes. Um, and yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it for uh, this installment of, of above of above replacement radio. Um, I've been getting worse at the outros, by the way. I keep forgetting. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. I'm on a I'm on a downhill. <laughs> um, that's unfortunate. Yeah, unfortunate. Um, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this one. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. Um, and uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you uh, probably on Thursday. Probably no Who video, knows? but it's going to be it's going to be an in-person uh, in-person podcast for sure. Um, and we'll get into the details of that later, but uh, it'll be a fun one. So uh, yeah, we will see you then.